Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for checking out the Firetime Podcast. Now, today's episode, I am especially stoked for because these are two of my favorite people in the industry. And uh, you know, it's funny, I have a lot of people talk to me and they ask, oh man, Tim, where'd you get all this passion? You're so excited about what you do and everything. And I got to say that uh, the two people that we're going to interview today are at least a big part of the reason for that. So if you don't like, you know, how excited I get about stuff, you got to call up Kip and Ed and complain to them about it. It's funny because years ago, I started working for my father-in-law as an installer, and we sold a whole bunch of Travis Industries products, and that was where I first in, encountered Kip. And, uh, you know, I I don't sell Travis products anymore. I've changed uniforms. I'm on a different team, but but I sold and installed their product for years and years and years. And, and I got to tell you, you know, Travis Industries, they make a great product. And even more than that, what's so awesome is they inspire something that gets down to the blood level of their dealers to just be fired up about what they do. And uh, even though, you know, I wear a different color uniform now, um, that uh, that Travis blood <laughs> runs pretty deep. And uh, so I love being able to tip my hat to uh, to Ed and Kip as we get into the conversation today. Now, in, uh, in today's conversation, we talk about everything that's related to sales. I mean, these guys are pros. They are some of the best of the best. And in it, we talk about, you know, tactics of why it's so important to let the customer be the hero, why we don't want to occupy that spotlight. We talk about follow-up, how most companies just flat don't do it, and how that's actually really stupid, that if you follow up with your customers, you'll win. And, and, that, and that so many people think short-term, they just get the sale, they're done, they move on to the next one, but... Man, when you can follow up with customers and win a friend, you you can do so much down the road by taking care of them, by making sure that, that everything went perfectly, and I guarantee that the future business you get is going to be bigger than the initial business that you had, so follow-up is totally crucial. You know, there's so much more that we talk about, and I'm going to circle back at the end of it, but I am just so excited to introduce you to these two guys. They, Like I said, they're two of the best, so without further ado... Here is my conversation with Kip and Ed. Joining me from Muckleteo, Washington, are two of the best sales reps in our country. These men have shaped me and molded me tremendously in my early days. And in fact, one of them is the reason that I'm in the industry to this day. I am joined by Kip Rumens and Ed Hozak. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Great, Tim. Thank you for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on board, guys. Well, I'm excited about this. For people that are not familiar with you guys in the Pacific Northwest, can you just talk about kind of what you do and uh, and how you got started in this industry? Well, I got I came to work uh, for my brother at Mopai back in the early days, about 1982. And um, since I was underage, less than 18, I couldn't use a single power tool in the industry. So I had to like sweep floors and paint stoves. I could use anything that wasn't 110 power activated in the factory. <laughs> yeah, that's how kind of how I got my start, putting fire brick in wood stoves, things like that. Well, how about you, Ed? Well, interesting. I was, had graduated high school and then uh, was going to um, Yakima Valley Community College. And my next door neighbor um, actually worked at a 
at a retail stove retail shop and we were um, uh, talking one night and he's like yeah we're looking for a salesperson he goes I think you'd be pretty good at it I'm like I don't sell things and um, anyhow long story short I went down to interview with the owner of the store and um, yeah um, I was a warehouse person for probably two months and then um, got into the sales side of it cool now how long have you guys been reps for Travis Industries uh, 30 years for me. I'm going on 21, 22. Cool. And what's the, what's the territory that you guys cover with that? We cover uh, Washington, Oregon, Northern, Northern Idaho, Montana, and Alaska. Has that been tough dividing up travel between you? No, we have a big territory to cover. So it's, it's divide and conquer. You know, you have to go out and go different directions and go see dealers because you know, you got you got to get out in the field. So, the only thing we we may uh, um, wrestle about is Montana because the speed limit's eighty miles an hour, which means you can go eighty five. <laughs> and there's no traffic. And there's no traffic. <laughs> so everybody wants to go to Montana. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Well, so for people that don't know, you know, Ed and Kip are, are two guys that I mean, you you really groomed me. You know, for years and years and years, I worked at a dealer where you were our, our reps. And, and you are people that really taught me how to think, how to sell, how to ask good questions. Do you, you know, have you guys always been like that with investing in the salespeople of your dealers? Just you. Just me? I, that's what I thought. <laughs> I, I, I think so, Tim. I mean, that's what we take pride in is um, um, seeing a person that has value and wants to learn the business. And if you spend a long, long time with those people, then... Um, they will be successful in the business, just like yourself. Yeah. One thing we've always we've always tried to seek out is people that are interested in people and relationships, because those are the people that seem to succeed in this business the best. If you're truly interested in helping people and helping them buy a new fireplace and trying to heat their home, you're going to succeed in this business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that's actually a really good point. So, as I've if I, as I've looked at your track record, because you know now we compete against each other with a lot of our products, which drives me crazy because I love you guys and I love working with you, but you guys are fiercely, fiercely loyal to your dealers. I mean, beyond wait, anything. Wait a minute. Hang on a minute. You're the one that left. Yeah, who left? Who? <laughs> oh man. Oh man. We're not gonna go there. <laughs> I, we had to bring that up. Sorry okay, <laughs> that's touche, touche. So, uh, so with that said, you guys are fiercely loyal to your dealers more than anything that I've ever seen. And I want to ask how that served you over this thirty years. Well, the biggest thing it's it's served us with is, is a two way street, right? If the if the dealers win, we win, and as they grow their business, we grow our business. And we haven't been impatient to grow our business. Um, as in some manufacturers or reps are required to do is just go out and set up more and more dealers or more channels of distribution. Our distribution is our dealers. And if we keep bringing products out to them and they keep getting it on the floor and keep selling it, it, it works and it's worked well for the company. Yeah. And I think that's the culture, Tim, if I may add, um, that comes from the company that we rep, which is Travis industries. Um, in nine, late 1999, I was in uh, Kurt's office and Jerry Fisk and I were, and uh, I came from more of a corporate, corporate background with a previous manufacturer. And it was all about the manufacturer. I mean, it was, how can we sell more stoves? How can we do this? How can we do that? We got to set up more dealers. Like Kip said, we got to do this. We got to do that. Different levels of distribution and whatnot. Um, 
And the president of our company, Kurt, had said, how can we make the dealers more money? And I didn't have a response. I had to actually process that because that wasn't what I was used to. And uh, with that, like to Kip's point, um, with that said, there's where you get the loyalty and you keep calling on your customers and cultivating those relationships and training more people and and um, trying to educate them and help them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it reminds me of like what Zig Ziglar says when he talks about how you can have anything in life that you want if you'll simply help enough other people get what they want. And that's what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in my position, you know, we have tons and tons of sales reps coming in and going out our doors because they're trying to get our business and stuff like that. And there are not many that come in with a partnership mentality that are coming in saying, hey, I want to make you more money. How can I come around you to do that? And I think that, you know, it sounds really simple, but that's actually pretty profound. I think there's a lot of people that are um, looking one quarter ahead and not looking five years ahead of how their relationship could be and, and the money that they could make. Yeah, long term is important, not well, short term. A lot of people like to sell a PO. Yeah. I sell a PO today, I get paid next week. This is great. That's good business. That's not how we approach the marketplace. It's always looking down the road of what's this going to do in the store? What's it going to look like next year and the year after and the year after that? Yeah. To me, it's always a three year plan with the product. Because the third year you look back and go, huh, we used to only sell that many. You know, now we're now it's rolling and, and we're actually all making money. So three year plan. That's good. That's good. Well, so with that, I want to talk about value. And this is kind of funny. We were we were talking at NWHPBA a few weeks back. I was giving a presentation on sales and value. And Ed, you told me a great story about back when you were at Whitfield and uh, you had to make this big pitch. And I want I want to share this with our audience. Can you can you tell that story? Yeah, what happened was is um there was a, a big box store that uh, we were trying to sell product to. So we got to the, and we made a product at the time, very specific, uh, for that big box store. And, um, so, you know, we had, uh, uh, the powers that be, you know, from the owner, one of the owners to the chief operating officer to the finance guy and two of us, um, we actually had to give the presentation to this particular box store and, and, you know, back then it was all technical selling. You know, you, you talked about how good you were, um, how good your product is, how great the company is, how long we've been in business, how we support our dealer network and all that stuff. So we went through this, you know, 15 minute presentation of how good we were. And one of the there was two buyers there. Uh, one of the buyers uh, raised their hand and said, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And we're like, what? And he goes, well, we ex- what you're telling us about your company, we expect that. So what else do you have? What are you going to do for us? And there was about a 20-second pause in the room, which seemed like 10 minutes. And we said, well, this is a good time for a little break. Um, why don't we you know, take a little break, get a cup of coffee? So my partner and I that were doing the presentation went into the bathroom and said, what the hell are we going to do now? And, um, we had to shift gears pretty fast. Um, so essentially how the presentation went from there on out was what, what are we going to do for them as a vendor? And that was it. But it was, it was a rude awakening. You can brag about yourself all day long, but what does it do for me? Like we try to educate, you know, the retail people on the sales floor. Uh, you have to talk in terms of what does this product do for the customer? In this case, it was the vendor. 
Yeah, that's really good. We always talk about in our company that we are not the hero of the story. You know, the customer's the hero of the story. Our job is to come alongside as the advisor to help empower the hero to get what they need and what's going to make their lives better. And I think that I think that if more people could make that shift that you're talking about, that there's a lot of success to be had. And it goes back to being a partner with your people and thinking about if you're a sales rep, how can I make this dealer as much money as possible? How can I, you know, help them provide for their families better? If you're a retail, you know, manager like me, you can say, how can I help this customer get the warmest fireplace in the house that's going to transform their family's experience? You know, you're, you're going, you're, all of a sudden you're sitting on their side of the table. You're not sitting across arguing with each other. You're making a partnership for their best interests. Is that fair? That's very fair. Cool. And, and today the market shifted so much, Tim, from we need a fireplace to we want a fireplace. Hmm. And they want the ambiance. They want the atmosphere. They want the romance. They're not looking for, they're not trying to heat the whole house with a gas fireplace anymore like they used to try to do with a wood stove. They just want that ambiance. They want nice flames. They like the lighting that comes with fireplaces today. And they like the choices and options that they can get today. So now you're a, you're a design consultant, not a hardware seller anymore. I mean, we, we've talked about sitting on low-pi doors and swinging back and forth on a low-pi door and, and let get the, get the customer to get their hands inside the stove and feel the tubes and take a piece of brick out that's not the style of selling when you're selling a gas fireplace. Now you're, you're talking about the design package, how it's going to look, how it's going to feel in the room. Um, it's all about them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. Well, switching gears, Kip, um, I want to talk to you about this because you know, you're actually the reason that I'm here today. So it's a, it's a funny story, but I don't know, 15 years ago, I was a punk kid playing in a rock and roll band up and down the West coast and I started randomly installing stoves for my father-in-law in Corvallis, Oregon. And I did that for a few years. And, you know, I, I still wanted to go play rock music the whole time. And I randomly go out to dinner one night with Kip and telling him that I'm going to move to Portland and all this stuff. And you made a phone call, got me a job interview that changed my life. And so, you know, it's so funny looking back on it. You know, you're the reason that I'm here today. And if it wouldn't have been for that phone call, I don't know what I would be doing up in Portland. So, so with that, I've seen you personally invest into the next generation. And you've actually done that in your business now, bringing your daughter on board. Can you talk about just how that's been for you, to, why it's been so important to invest in the generation, and, and how it's been having your daughter as a team member? Well, first of all, let's get something straight. You were never a punk rock kid. because <laughs> Punk rock is a category. You were never a punk. You always asked great questions. You were always interested. You were always engaged. You weren't like, I don't care what you're talking about. I need to go play my guitar. <laughs> you wanted to do both. You wanted to talk to people. You wanted to learn. So let's just get that straight, first of all. So I, I saw that you had the ability to, to talk to people, and you like talking to people, and I knew you'd do well in this business. I had no idea what your music was like because I never got to listen to you. So obviously, <laughs> it worked out great. <laughs> yeah. So having the next generation come into the business is, is always important because it's always the youth that, that brings us forward and brings new ideas into our business anyway. Um, Edward and I always thought of ourselves as the young guns. Then the young guns came along and we were too old to be the young guns. <laughs> so, cause you know, I started in the business, I was 17, you know, and Edward was, I think 18 or mm -hmm. 19 years old. And so kind of right out, both of us right out of high school came into this business. So it's been fun. My daughter, when she got out of college, she just graduated recently. And when she got out of college, she goes, no, dad, I, I don't want to work outside. I want to, I want to work for you. I want to do what you and Edward do. I like talking to people. I had a job at us bank. I don't want to be stuck in a corner somewhere crunching out data. 
I like talking to people. You know, she's got a you know business degree and and a, and a marketing degree and and wants to go and help dealers. And is just learning the business. She's been working with Edward and I now for eleven months. So she's just coming into her first full year in the business. Wow. Has that just been awesome for you as a dad to think that she's following in your footsteps? Yes. It's great that she's following in my, in my footsteps. Um, there's not been too much controversy. She's been traveling with Edward when Edward travels. She travels with me when I travel. So she's doing both of our travel schedules. So she's been running pretty hard. Wow. That's really cool. You know, it's funny. I think uh, my father-in-law has stories because you were, you know, you called him my father-in-law for years and years and years. It is Travis shop in Corvallis. And so he has stories of uh, coming up to stay with you at your house. And I think like bowling your daughter across the hardwood floor when she was wearing onesie pajamas. And now uh-huh. she's, and now she's selling stoves alongside of you. It's awesome. Yeah. We used to have a little bowling, you know, the little plastic bowling pins and all that kind of stuff set up. But <laughs> he goes, well, you guys want to slide down the hallway instead of the ball? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Lou, throw us down the hall. So he would just slide my kids down the hallway into the bowling pins. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, I mean, I can't thank you enough for the investment that you guys have shown in me. But I want to ask, do you guys see many dealers around the country starting to make that push of investing into the next generation? Uh, Tim, uh, very little, but it is happening. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, I mean, you guys didn't set out to get into this industry necessarily. And I didn't set out, you know, I wanted to play punk music. I didn't want to, you know, sell fireplaces. But once you get into it, man, this industry is awesome. And I was I was joking around with one of our previous guests that you got to leave in a body bag. It's the only way out once you once you get the hook for it. Right. It's a well, stove mafia. Once well, you're in, you can't get out. Yeah. And Tim, what's really <laughs> pathetic on, at least for me personally, is when you're, you know, my wife and I are driving around uh, a neighborhood, for example, and I'm picking out how many uh, chimneys there are, <laughs> yeah. caps there are. That's pretty bad. <laughs> I do the same thing. And my wife is like, are you crazy? Can you ever turn it off? And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, one thing I want to ask you guys circling back around here is, you know, you talk a lot about partnerships and about loyalty and the sales rep dealer relationship needs to be a two-way street because Obviously, dealers need you know support for, for the companies that they represent, and sales reps need dealers to sell the products so that they can make money. You know, how should people be thinking about that to make it a two-way street between what the what the rep brings to the table and what the dealer brings to the table? Well, for, for me, I, I think it comes, like I said, from the factory uh, with regards to um, you know how That's exactly where I was. Going yeah, with, with regard with, with regards to how the companies run from the top down, right? Um, so if you have that type of support, uh, the president of our company will say, Hey, we have a plan a that's specialty hearth retailers plan B plan C. We don't have one C plan a (laughs) C plan a, we don't have one. So when you get that type of support and that type of loyalty from your company, um, that makes your, I don't want to say it makes your life easier, but gives you uh, focus. It gives you more focus, and, and, and our dealers understand that as well. We don't have a plan B or C. You're it. You know, in my early years as a rep, I remember um, talking to some other reps, the fair or show, and they were complaining about something their company had done that changed their relationship with their retailer. And so they were always battling with the factory um, and trying to get whether it was credits processed or or uh, or 
uh, funding for co-op, for advertising, and it seemed like there was always this battle, this, this push-pull between the dealer, the rep, the manufacturer, and the manufacturer wouldn't do what they said they were going to do, and the dealer felt like the rep had overpromised. And I'm like, I've never felt that way with Travis Industries. Travis Industries has a, uh, a really good support program, but the way they process their support, um, the way it gets done, the way their billings get done, it makes it easy to be the rep in between. I've never felt like I'm the monkey in the middle. Um, I've got great support. The dealer knows what that support is, and it happens seamlessly. There's very, very few times that I actually have to intercede on behalf of a dealer that something didn't get processed in time because it was the end of the year or something. Yeah. Um, it just, it's just, it's just been great. It's been a great relationship. But again, it's that, it's that partnership, that whole circle. It's you. You mentioned the dealer and and the rep. It's that manufacturer. It's all three. It all, it all has to work for all three to be successful. Furthermore, Tim, you know, we obviously Kip and I talk to a lot of reps and we have a lot of rep friends and just in general conversations, it comes up like, yeah, I had to, I had to spend Monday and Tuesday in the office or a Thursday or Friday or a Wednesday and Thursday, whatever. And I'm like, what do you do there? Oh, I got to do all this paperwork. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to justify this. I got to do that. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And it's like, they go, you don't do that. And it's like, no, we have people to help us do that. What our company wants us to do is sell sell and get on the road and support our dealers any way we can, whether it's a selling thing, business advice, technical support, um, et cetera. That's so profound, and it's so simple, but we literally had this conversation last week, I mean, in our company, because our number one objective is that the job of salespeople is to sell. And if we're putting things on their plate that are administrative, that's paperwork, I mean, there's a time and place for that stuff, but it should not be done by a salesperson. That a salesperson's job is to be in front of customers, making relationships, and bringing value. You know, I had a recent experience with a car buying experience that was total sideways. Sales guy was just weird messaging. He was awkward. Um, Mature guy, but just had some very awkward responses. My daughter felt awkward with him. Um, I was there and it just, it just didn't, it just didn't go forward. Well, I got a call from their customer service department saying, how did I like the new car I purchased? Well, I didn't buy one, but they had it in their paperwork that I bought a car and she goes, how did it get this far to me then? So she starts looking at the computer. She goes, Oh, I see you didn't actually buy the car. I go, okay. And I said, but can I give you some input? She goes, sure. So I started talking to her about my experience and she goes, oh my goodness. She goes, I had, and that brings up a point. We don't do that with our customer base. I don't, there's not a lot of retailers that follow up after the fact saying, how was your experience purchasing a product? We're selling products today that are five to $10,000 on a regular basis in in that range. We're not selling a lot of two and $3,000 products anymore. Our products are getting more and more expensive. The jobs are getting more inclusive, where they're putting more and more of the package together. Um, and it's, it's um, how do we do? The only time we hear about it is we hear a complaint when someone comes in, calls in and is not happy. We count all the other ones as successes. But we don't actually know what our experiences are unless we're calling. I don't think it's a salesman's job to do it, but someone needs to call from the team that says, how are we doing? How, how did that process work for you? Well, I think that's really good. And that's actually a shift that we've made in these last few years that has just paid off tremendously. Um, it's actually step six in our sales process is the follow-up. 
And I'm convinced that we actually do have our salespeople do it because when they make that follow-up call, it's the time to ask for a referral. I mean, unashamedly, I, I bought a new car a couple of years ago and the salesperson did a really good job. The car came with a great warranty. It was a good experience. And I got a call a month later for him where he said, Hey Tim, this is Brian. Just wanted to check in, see how the car's treating you. And I said, Oh, it's going great, Brian. You know, thank you for calling. And he's just unashamed. And he goes, Tim, you know, it was great to work with you. If you have any friends or family that can use my services, please let them know that I'm here to help them. It wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward. And if I have someone that needs a car, I'm going to go tell him to talk to Brian, you know, and, and I got another call from him six months later and he, exact same thing. He just wanted to check in, but he was unashamed and asking for a referral. And that follow-up piece is critical. If more people would do it, I mean, it would make a big difference in a lot of businesses. So yeah. Tim, Kip and I have over 80 accounts in the Pacific Northwest and we only have one dealer that does that. Wow. That, that dealer's probably a pretty big one, right? I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're probably pretty successful. Yeah, follow-up's big. And actually, that's that's a good point, too. This is a little bit of a tangent, but when you write up a quote for a customer, it'd probably be a pretty good idea to follow up with them as well because they're coming in to see you for a reason. You know, people don't walk into a fireplace store by accident. So if they're well, taking time out of their day to go into your store, you should probably follow up with them. And you don't have to be sleazy, but you can just check in and say, hey, you know, do you have any other questions? Is there, is there anything else I can answer for you? Did you want to get that deposit going today? I mean, that's just, that's the natural part of doing business. Well, Tim, on that note, uh, you raise a great point. And going back to, you know, what's the next generation, um, I think our industry has always been uh, information basis, right? Customer comes in, we provide all these technical specifications about the product. But did we really sell the product or did we just spew out a bunch of technical information about BTUs and direct vent and top vent, rear vent, side vent, uh, burners and all this stuff? But did we really sell it? Did, did we really sell it at the end of the day? No, we provided a bunch of technical information. That was it. And if the customer's comfortable, then we hope that they buy that's how the industry has always been. Yeah. I mean, I'm pointing at the finger, the finger at myself when I say this, that our industry traditionally is full of great information givers and mediocre salespeople. And right. honestly, it's been my journey in the last five years to change that and, and to say that, you know, we need good information. We need to know our technical stuff, but we need to become an industry of great salespeople because at the end of the day, it's actually a blessing for the customer when you help them get what they want rather than just give them information that confuses them and they leave. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, we, we said it earlier, nothing happens without the sale. So all the promises, all the things we did, what does it take to sell a product today? In-home estimates, like Edward just brought up, in-home estimates are a big deal for consumers today. They, they, they don't know what to expect. They don't know what they're quite getting. They don't know how it's going to fit in their house. It sounds complicated to do these processes, even though it's not. Customers just want to know that you can do the job, start to finish. What is it going to look like? How long is it going to take? I remember, Tim, back in my early, early uh, 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 retail days, um, the owner of the store had talked to a customer and thought I did a wonderful job because I was 20 and I knew more than anybody could. And customer would walk out and the owner of the store would say, so did you sell that? And I go, oh yeah, they're coming back. They're totally coming back. He's like, so did you get money? Oh no, but they're coming back. Hmm. It's not a sale until you get the money. <laughs> so. You know, we always talk about this, that there's been some third party data that says that the average consumer goes to 1.3 hearth stores before making a buying decision. And yep. the way that I teach that to my team is I say, 
If they have walked in that door and they walk out, they are not coming back. So you better get contact information, a follow-up method, an in-home estimate, because they're not coming back in the door. Now, if they come in the door and you say, hey, have you guys been looking around anywhere? And they tell you yes, that means that they want to buy from you. And it's time to make that happen for them. It's, yeah. I mean, it's really funny that we, I just think the days of customers coming in six times are gone. People's time is too valuable. We're too busy. Well, they do a lot more research on the internet. So they don't need to, they don't feel like they have the need to go to multiple stores because multiple stores aren't next to each other in our industry. You can't go to Auto Row and walk down the street. Tell you what, I went to two dealers with my with my daughter and I was done car, car shopping. I mean, <laughs> done. So I, I don't want to go through this process again, right? Yep. I don't want to start over and then walk through the whole gambit and repeat myself again and again about what I'm looking for, what are the options, what's the price. So it's it's how do you get to the point? How do you sit them down? How do you walk through this process? Well, this is really good. And it, it actually goes right into where I wanted to head next in the conversation because if we look at things in the last 10 years, there's been ridiculous change. I mean, to think that the smartphone is barely 10 years old. I mean, we haven't scratched the surface of what it can do. Our, just things have, things have changed and the speed of business is going faster and faster. And a lot of companies are having to rethink their value proposition because they're being disrupted by the internet. And this is my take. I'd love to get your guys' thought on it is, you know, I think that maybe uh, when I first started 14 years ago, um, a lot of the value a sales rep provided was in technical information, maybe a question about something in a, in a manual that I wasn't understanding. And there is a time and place for that. But I think now the value that sales reps bring to the table is everything we spent the last 10 minutes talking about, the philosophy of sales. This is how you do it. This is how you think about the consumer being first. Can you speak to what value you guys bring to the table in this changing economy? Because I think it is 100% empowering salespeople to win based on the experience that you've seen. Yeah, my response is real simple to that, Tim. Um, and you're right. Things have changed dramatically. And um, I think everybody's going faster these days. Um, I think, like Kib said, there's a lot of information on the internet, so they're pretty well educated when they come into that store. But if I can give you one major thing that we embed in our salespeople or help train our salespeople with is I think, and I live by this, you have 30 to 60 seconds to make a friend with that customer. Mm -hmm. That's it. If you can establish some credibility um, with that customer within 30 to 60 seconds by making a friend, um, the sales process, um, the, the closing rate goes way up. If you're just a salesperson going, Hey, yeah, what's up? And yeah, you know, yeah, those, those woods, those they're over there. Um, uh, your chances are pretty nil. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's my big, my big thing is 30 to 60 seconds to make a friend and that's it. Well, I think that's unique. I don't think I don't think that there's many sales reps that are actually coming in and doing that. You know, uh, a funny thing that we do every time we have a we have a rep come on board is they actually have to come into our team meeting and they have to role play selling their product to our sales team while everyone has a clipboard and everyone takes notes on what worked and what didn't work. And we have seen reps go white in the face because they are not prepared to actually do what they're supposed to be teaching and empowering their dealers to do. And so I love that you guys have so much experience with this because I've just seen firsthand that you do a really good job of empowering your people to succeed. And I think that ultimately that's the value that a rep brings to the table. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily technical information or that sort of thing anymore, but it's the... Um, wisdom that comes only by doing for you know a number of years again and again and again. The technical thing, if I may, Tim, 
is, 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 is my turn, but anyway, go ahead. Oh, you've been talking longer than I have. Um, <laughs> it is still extremely important because product has gotten, has gotten more complex as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Right? So I would say, you know, I think for Kip and I over the years and now Colleen, um, our success has been sales support, getting our, you know, our salespeople trained. I mean, that's our 100% MO. The second part of that's technical, though. I mean, we are hands-on reps. Um, I find in the marketplace there's a lot of reps, a lot of reps. They don't have a clue um, with regards to the technical aspects of their product. Maybe a little bit of a clue. You can strike that comment, but uh, but 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 they're not embedded in it. I mean, they don't. They just kind of know how it works. They don't know all the details inside. And Kip and I, our, our backgrounds are technical. And um, we're hands-on with our product as well. And I think, our, and I don't think our dealers know that. Yeah. What were you going to say, Kip? Well, it was so long ago, I forgot. So, um, uh, you know, <laughs> in, the, in, that, in that sales process, in that sales process, one of the things actually now, I learned it from Edward because he came from that retail side is that there's a process to selling a product. And some salespeople want to jump so quick to here's the price, here's what we install it for. Da, 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 da. Absolutely, and, and they want to get to the, they want to get to that bottom line so quick, um, and it's like so. There's so much more of a process than that. There's a product, yeah. There's an installation. There's venting. There's there's permits. There's fees. There's there's all kinds of things it takes to make a product go into a house, and we take care of all that for you. Here's there's a, here's a cost to it. Here's what a budget would be. Here's what we can do for you. It's go through the whole process. Don't don't rush through the process or rush to the bottom line. You, it's so easy to give out a an average number to throw out some averages and stuff out there. But what is in that averages? What does that mean for the customer? When you walk through that, because a lot of times a customer today on the Internet, they might be a little bit educated about a product that they saw on the Internet, but not about the whole process. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the process that's the important part. And that's why you're coming to see me and you didn't buy off the Internet is I'm going to help make the whole process work. That's um, really and, good. And, and that's really where I think it makes the biggest difference um, for our showrooms and for our training and what we do with our salespeople is slow down. We're not going to push a button and go buy it now. That's not what we're doing here because there's more to it than that. So uh, Colleen and I were at a store a few months ago and working a sale, for example, and uh, talked to his husband and wife. It was about a gas insert. So I went through the process and – Colleen and I sold the insert, right? And after we got done, I go, what do you think, Colleen? She goes, well, you didn't talk about this, and you didn't talk about this, and you didn't talk about that. How come? And I said, well, because if the customer were to say no or I'll get back to you, I still wanted you know, three or four things in my bag that I can continue to talk to them about um, to try to get them to invest in the product. And it, she just looked at me like, Oh, see, I didn't have, I didn't have to break out. I have secret weapons in my head, right? So I didn't have to break those out. I already closed the deal. Let's move on. So uh, that's part of the process from a technical background. You need to know the product and, and then of course know how to sell and make a friend. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, we always talk about it's, it's the language of a company called story brand, but they always say that every time you give your customer a piece of information, you're handing them a bowling ball. And with most customers, they only need to hold one or two bowling balls. You know, once they start to get five or six, they're just crippled by indecision and they can't, you know, yep. they can't process it. And so I love that you found the two bowling balls that they needed 
and you had some more information in your back pocket in case they needed it. But I think that we are very often guilty of vomiting everything on a customer as opposed to being very careful to listen to their needs and only give them what they need. That's that. Well, you give them the information they want, give them a little bit more than the last guy gave them, close the deal. That's, that's real important. Edward and I do this role playing with, with salespeople where they have to sell us a stove. And you want to talk about go white as a ghost. Everybody's like, I don't want to sell to you two. And so we were, we, were, we were working with this sales guy. He's been around. He's, he's been trained. And so he was, he was talking to us. He would only talk to me. And so finally, after a little while, Edward just throws a brochure and goes, we're out of here and walks off. And salesman's going, what happened? Edward goes, you never even made eye contact with me. You never even asked me a question. Now, theoretically, he was just the wife, but guess what? There's two people that you're selling to. You better include them both. Even if the other one's not there, here's, here's something. Here's something important. Here's a feature. Um, talk to them both. Invite them both. When you're going to be at the house, hopefully both of them are there. Don't require it, but keep the process going. That's really smart. You know, Because at the end of the day, even if you are selling a wood stove that might be traditionally a guy product, his wife has the veto power. I mean, even if she's not making the decision, she has the power to make to make sure he makes no decision. And so you have to engage everybody that's there and get them all excited about it. And she's going to operate it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'll, really good. Yeah. Well, rounding out, I want to give you guys a platform for one question here. So you guys have a little bit of a stage now. If you're talking to dealers, what do dealers need to realize that they need to bring to the table to help play ball as well. So you guys are bringing this ridiculous value and powering their salespeople. What do dealers need to do in order to play ball to help the manufacturer and to help sales reps? You know, I, I was on a road trip last week and I had an owner of a store go, we were talking about sales processes. He goes, how do you know so much? And I go, well, you know, Kip and I have over 80 accounts in the Pacific Northwest. We've been doing this forever. It's not us that are maybe, that, that appear to be smart. We're learning from a lot of our dealer network, and you hear different stories and different situations with from some really smart, smart people, and you just you know combine those or combine that information together, and uh, you get more knowledge. It's not just us; it's it's collective. Dealers, um, you know, they, everybody's got an opinion about a product, but ultimately, it's the customer's opinion that matters the most. So you have to get a new product on the floor. And you have to give it a shot because it was designed based on input from dealers. In our case, it's from it's from dealer input that helps design and drive some of our products. I mean, obviously, Kurt is the ultimate designer, but he takes input from from around the network, from from dealers and reps, designs a product, and then 50% of the dealers go, well, eventually I'll get it on the floor. Get it on the floor. Let the customer decide whether it's a winner or not because that that's the ultimate um, – they, they're the ultimate decision maker. Um, you know, we say sometimes we leave it to the dealer. The dealer makes a decision not to let it win. It's like it's going to win. It's going to be a win-win for all of us. Um, I don't want you to put something on the floor that isn't going to sell. I, I don't want I don't want it to sit there and not make you money. We got to give this product a shot and and get the customers to respond to it and get the feedback from consumers um, because that's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate win for the dealer for the rep for the manufacturer for everybody involved. Yeah, one of the concerns that I've always had in our business is speed. The manufacturers, uh, especially ours, um, are going at warp speed. The manufacturers have to have a stake in growing market share. And I think getting new product on the floor sometimes is overwhelming, if that makes sense. Yep. 
the dealers may stall on because it's like, oh my God, it's another new product. Where am I going to put it? You know, I don't have any wall space. So the resistance is I'm just not going to do it. Well, well, Tim, here, here's a here's a bottom line. The most successful retailers put it in the showroom. It, it's a bottom line. It's proven over and over again. The most successful retailers bring the product out on the floor, get it installed, get it running, do the training on it, and just go off to the races. There's there's always going to be the dealers that go, well, I'll get it eventually, or maybe I can't fit it in my showroom right now, or I'd actually have to do a little bit of a remodel to get that in. The most successful ones get it done and just keep moving forward. Makes a lot of sense. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, this has been awesome. I think anyone that is either a sales rep that's looking to be better or people that have sales teams like myself can listen to this and take away a lot of really good things. Um, Yeah, we really appreciate you being on board. Thank you for it. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time, Tim. Okay, see you guys later. See you. Take care. Well, that was awesome. I love it every time I get a chance to talk with Kip and Ed. And uh, I'm telling you, you guys just heard from two of the best. I mean, they're they're sales reps that that look deeply at partnerships, and they are painfully loyal to their dealers. If you're a sales rep listening to this, you know, think hard about everything they talked about. Think about the value that you can bring to your customers by training their sales teams to be excellent, and think about the value of not just selling a PO but selling something with the three-year plan in mind. The three years down the road, you guys are going to be making a bunch of money and the dealer is going to be doing great. I, I love it. Now, for people that aren't sales reps, whether you know, you're in the retail space like me or you're on the builder side, there are so many awesome things to listen to. I mean, I could rap about sales process all day long. I, I think it's just critical that every business needs a specific sales process that you can teach your team. And it doesn't mean that you're turning them into robots, but it means that you're painting lines on the basketball court so they can make sense of the game. You know, Kip and Ed did that for me, and and they kind of talked about it in there about how they try to train people, take them under their wing. Edward talked about, you've got 30 to 60 seconds to make a friend. And this is a little side tangent that (laughs) I'm going to go on. But if you think about this, when the customer walks into your showroom, that is the most critical time to be able to win trust. And you never want to say the five words of death. I tell my team all the time, if I hear you say these words, so help me God. You ready for those five words? How can I help you? Don't say it. Don't say it. Because if you ask that right away when the customer comes in, you're going to instantly be jumping into shoving some product down their throat. Instead of that, get up, look them in the eye, shake their hand, give them your name, ask some good questions. Why are they in here? Well, you're looking at a fireplace. What are you hoping to get out of that? Did you grow up with a fireplace? Oh, okay, tell me more about your house. I'm telling you that if you ask, how can I help you today, it's going to derail the entire process of establishing and building trust with the consumer. And I love that Ed said you've got 30 to 60 seconds to make a friend. If you don't maximize that time, it's going to be a, a really tough battle the rest of the way. So with all that said, I, you know, there's just some tremendous value there. I, I love that everything these guys talked about, especially Kip talking about how important it was to invest in the next generation. And I would just encourage you that if, if you're someone that has a little bit more uh, wisdom, it's a nice way of saying someone that's old. If you're someone that's got a little bit more wisdom, look for young people around you because they're hungry. They want to learn. 
If you're a young person, look for someone that's older and wiser than you and ask them, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? What can I do to learn the secrets of your trade? I'm so convinced that more than ever, we need to be super cognizant about bringing the next generation in and taking advantage of the wisdom that older people have as well. So anyway, I hope you guys got some tremendous value out of today. As always, if you want to continue the conversation, go to the website, itsfiretime.com. And over there, you can send me uh, just a message with some feedback from the conversation if there's questions that you want me to answer in a future episode. The last thing I'll say is on that website, itsfiretime.com, I've got an ebook that's called Roadmap to Success. And what it is is it's five executable and repeatable steps that I've used to grow my division of Fireside from a sub-million dollar company to a multi-million dollar company in less than five years. It's not business theory. It's not uh, stuff that, uh, that I learned through research studies. This is just boots on the ground, practical wisdom that's helped make a radical difference in my company, and I know it can do the same for you. So with all that said, thank you so much for listening to the Firetime Podcast. I can't tell you how thankful I am to have you listening to us. And I'm just so excited for what you're going to do in the industry. So we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.